Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to another episode of NFL Super Friends here on the Chase Thomas Podcast, where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee, Everything School HQ down there in the great state of Florida, where I assume is much warmer than where it is right now in East Tennessee. For myself, J.P. Acosta of SBNation.com is here. J.P., good evening, sir. How are you? I'm doing great. It is a little cold, a little chilly. I had to throw mm. on a jacket, which is crazy. But um, it's definitely not as cold as where you're at now. Hold on. What is, what's chili for J.P. Acosta? I was just going to say, I promise whatever is chili for J.P. Acosta is not chili. Oh, anything below 65, I'm you're, putting on a jacket. That's disgusting. not chili. No. That's, that's no. chili. That's chili. I'm sorry. That's, that is jacket weather. Florida folks are S-A-W-F-T swapped. You, you're the one who doesn't even want to go out in the heat. Yeah, he sucks. <laughs> oh, and you're telling me I'm soft. Okay. Okay. This I got a brain. I ain't, I ain't going out 90 degrees. Are you kidding me? Oh, I thought it was a, I thought it was a skin issue because as the two pale guys <laughs> this podcast, I thought yeah. that was a skin thing. No. Because like, we, we roast. And I, I'm just going to go ahead and guess, Jared Bailey, what are we on? I'm on SPF 70. Like, what are, what are you doing if you're out for an hour or two? If you go to the beach, what are you rocking SBF-wise? Honestly, I don't know. Whatever my family has, I'll just throw some Oh, on. you're not. I, oh, this will. I you'll usually, start checking this when you get older. You'll start I'll looking burn, at the bottle and of like. Mm. I'll burn a little bit, but I'm never like in physical pain from. Well, that's like, good. Unbearable pain. So I, I don't wear. I'm, I'm also not in the sun for that long when it's that hot to really know or care. That's good. So it's. Yeah. Again, I'm I'm what you call indoorsy. Mm. I'm not indoor enthusiast. Like, yeah, very much. I like I'm a big couch guy. Mm. Yeah. There you go. Uh, well, that voice right there is Jared Bailey of USA Today behind the steel curtain and the pump fake. Uh, yeah. No, I mean for me, I I gave up. I turned 33 in four months, and guess what? I'm not winning any battles with the sun. 
I'm going, I don't care. I'm the long sleeve at the beach guy. Now I'll wear a gator around my neck just to protect that. I don't care. Like we're, we're doing that from here on out, man. Like I am not going to war uh... with the sun. This is over. I'm not dealing with this. I accept my fate as a very fair skinned man. And this is what's happening. We're going, if there was an SPS 120, I'd do it. I don't care. Like put me in a bubble at the beach, but we're, we're doing whatever it me whatever it takes because I hear people like, why would I put on skit? Who cares? I'll get a base going or I'll peel it. No, what do you think? You're gonna win a battle with the sun? I'm not I winning do a like battle peeling. with the I'm sun. I'm not gonna lie. That's like one of my guilty pleasures is peeling sunburn. Oh no! Whoa! No! Yeah, uh, no! Pretty, I don't know why I enjoy it. Just feels good. I mean, me. my wife likes popping my pimples. Like that's one of her. Man, like, I feel like very, every. Is that I feel like every? Thing? That's just a girl thing. Yeah. Because my girlfriend likes doing that. Uh, see, this is what I'm saying. I don't know why, but it's clearly a girlfriend thing. They very much girlfriend, wife, whatever. They are in on the popping of pimples uh, oh on uh, their uh, significant other uh, because it definitely gives them a lot of joy. And then the other part, you get to, over, uh, over go ahead, past, like Over the past like two weeks, I've realized I desperately need a girlfriend again. I'm, no, you don't need to look at it I'm like so that. so bored. No, you just gotta. When you find the right person, you find the right person. Like you can't, you can't force it. When oh, you. Oh no, no, no! I'm not. I'm not gonna force it or anything. I'm just saying. Hopefully, be comfortable. You're all right, Jared. You're young. I, I, I guess. Yeah, it's fine. Just, Jared, I didn't I'm meet. My, I didn't meet time. the one for me until I was 29. Like you, you got time. Oh, that's, and that's a great thing. Um, yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not like rushing or anything. It's just, hey, you know, if I could have somebody right now, it'd be, it'd be nice. I'm bored need something <laughs> interested chase on his podcast at gmail.com and i'll forward it over to jared and we'll get I'm tired the, of tinder well we'll get it well it's time to expand like i met my wife on hinge i think jp Sorry. didn't you meet your significant other yeah on hinge yeah yeah hinge it's a good one we've been Quality. over this guys i don't yeah. think you can be on Hinge. i can't <laughs> oh i forgot about this I, oh my god jp i forgot all about this we, i was gonna say i this. don't think i don't think he can be on hinge yeah I think he oh can. my goodness i forgot all about this yeah. we don't need to relitigate um <laughs> well we're gonna relitigate some other things which is the nfl divisional round that took place over the weekend um let's first hit um jp the most surprising divisional round result was which game for you um, the Bucks Lions being as close hmm. as it was, I didn't. I thought the Lions would kind of pull away and kind of turn it into like a a 10, 17 point win. But the Bucks hung around for a long time, and a lot of credit to Baker Mayfield. He was up until that last interception. He was he looked really really good, and a lot of credit to Todd Bowles who didn't get a lot of credit this year, uh, and Dave Canales for putting together this team that was supposed to be kind of tanking in quarterback mode and flipping it on its head. And now you are looking at going into 2024 with possibly a rejuvenated Baker Mayfield. You might get Dave Canales back. Considering, considering what happens in Carolina, you might get Dave Canales back. Um, you're going to get Mike Evans back. I think he's going to end up getting tagged at, I don't think they're going to, uh, they're going to try and sign him to a long-term extension, but I think he's going to get tagged. But you're looking at going into the season next season with your your remind uh, with the core that led this team to the playoffs coming back. And so I think that game being as close as it was was probably the most surprising thing. But again, it's a lot of credit to Dan Campbell and this Lions team that I wrote in 2022. They've become a reflection of their head coach, 
and you can see it in close games. They they're never rattled. For such a young team, they don't get rattled by big moments. It's always boom, 15-yard dig to Amon Ross St. Brown. Boom, big Jameer Gibbs run where he froze um, uh, Antoine Winfield Jr., who was an all-pro, froze him on a touchdown run. Panay Sewell, again, phenomenal. Big plays by Derek Barnes, who had a really rough rookie year, but the belief that Dan Campbell had in him and saying, hey, you just need to take the lumps. Being a rookie linebacker, playing linebacker in the NFL is hard. You just got to take those lumps. And he did, and he got the game seal and interception. The belief and the development that has happened in the Detroit Lions locker room on that practice field, it shows up on Sundays and Saturdays in the playoffs, and I think that's a really cool thing. I was kind of stunned here, Jarrett, when I, I agree with JP where that was definitely the most stunning back and forth of the weekend. But I also was just like, have you ever had a game? I don't know if you're like this, but you'll have a game where because I'm not I'm not a big uh, I'm not a better or anything like that. And I just have my notepad and I'm just taking notes and I have uh, guys and teams when Tennessee and Atlanta aren't playing that uh, I, I root for and things of that nature. And um, I went into the game rooting for the lions i was like oh it's a good story let's see the lions win and then i'm watching like baker just deal and run around and doing old oklahoma fun baker stuff and just throwing darts and i am like i think i'm switching here i think i want the bucks to win did you feel the same where you're like the lions are such a great story and then you see baker in the second half and you're like wait a second i actually think baker winning would be a much cooler story and i i'm here for it i'm here for a baker playoff run here uh, I was, I still stuck with, okay, I still want Detroit to advance um, because I think the matchup between them and San Francisco is much more appealing. Hmm. Um, but close to the end of the game when the Bucks are down two scores and Baker just leads them down the field and throws a touchdown pass to Mike Evans to keep the game within reach. Like that was such a ballsy drive. Um, and you look at his numbers overall throughout the playoffs, like he's been good as JP's capital G good. Like he's, He's taken such a step forward this year with Dave Canales um, and the offense as a whole where, you know, you look at his numbers compared to, I think they did actually did it um, where they put like his numbers this season compared to Brady's last season um, in Tampa Bay. And like, I understand that, you know, that's comparing like apples to oranges and stuff like that, but um, he's taken such a step forward um, from a guy who was, you know, written off after going from Cleveland to Carolina to Los Angeles and, you know, ridiculed, uh, or the I guess the Bucks were kind of ridiculed when they signed him. Um, nobody gave them a chance, myself included, saying, yeah, this team is going to be drafting in the top 10, probably the top five, to now you know, being within a drive of perhaps going to the NFC Championship game. It, it's hard to not root for a guy like Baker, and I'm excited to see what is next for him. I would assume that Tampa Bay will do all they can to bring him back. Um, hopefully for their sake, Dave Canales is back as well. And we'll see what happens with Mike Evans. I, you know, JP seems to think that he'll be back. I, I don't know. I, I think that there's going to be a lot of contending teams that would love to have Mike Evans as, you know, either, either their number one or, you know, a really good number two, um, to have in tandem with, with somebody else. So, um, we'll see when the time comes, but I, I would assume that Tampa Bay does their hardest to to keep Baker Mayfield in town and uh, to try to run this thing back. What I thought was really cool from the Bucks this year that really didn't get talked about that much is Tristan Wirfs went from right tackle to left tackle and was still one of the best tackles in the, in football. 
Mm. Like that's that's such a hard transition. I think people have become mad and brained where it's like, oh, just take this <laughs> yes. left tackle and move him to right tackle. Let's put the like, center and make him a left guard. And yeah, take oh, this right so tackle annoying. who played right tackle only in college. Or the thing we're doing with the draft now, uh, with Olufashanu and Joe Joel. Let's just take these guys who have played left tackle their entire careers in college and move them to right tackle. It worked once with Panay Sewell, but it's also Panay Sewell that is a once-in-a-lifetime athlete who was entering the draft at 19. A lot of runway for development there. Tristan Wirfs was an all-pro at right tackle in, in 2021, 2022, and then flipped over to left tackle and was still very good. Like, he kind of solidified an offensive line and helped that young offensive line grow along with him learning a new position, facing an entirely different palette of pass rushers, and was still very good. So it might not get talked about a lot, but Tristan Wirfs definitely deserves a lot of kudos for this season. I like that. I just think the Bucks overachieved, and they've quietly, have there been, has there been a quieter three-year consecutive division winning streak than the <laughs> Tampa Bay Buccaneers, where it just doesn't feel like it? If you pulled any NFL fan... <laughs> Like, would any of them be able to say outside of Bucks fans be like, how many years in a row have the Bucks won the NFC South? How many would say three? I think it's because a lot of people like, even though he won a Super Bowl with Tampa Bay, it's like Tom Brady was on the Bucks. Mm-hmm. Like that's it's kind of that thing where it's like, oh, this guy was here. Like he played for the Bucks and they won the division. Of course, they won the division, but Tom Brady was. It's that kind of thing where like, oh, like you don't recognize or you don't you you forget that Tom Brady was a buccaneer and was good as a buccaneer. Feels like forever ago now. Um, But shout out to the Bucks for reinventing themselves and having a great year, even after um, uh, Tom Brady's retirement. I will say, though, Jarrett, does Todd Bowles deserve a lot of the grief he's getting for not calling that timeout at the end of the game and saying that like it was. What did he say? Basically delaying the inevitable was basically the quote I'm paraphrasing here a little bit. Or do you think that was coaching malpractice not to call the timeout? At least give your team one last minuscule shot to like, hey, Lions might miss the field goal. We can drive down the field, see what happens. Or which side of the aisle are you on that? Honestly, I didn't even realize it. So I saw it on Twitter that I didn't either. Did you JP snap the ball really early? I didn't realize it until I saw the video. So they snapped the ball like really early, which surprised me after seeing it again. I was like, oh, yeah, I guess I could have, you know, taken the last mm. time out, forced the Lions to do something on fourth down. Um, and then you never know what happens. Um, I, I get what Todd Bowles is saying, though. Um, but at the same time, it's the playoffs. Was it going to hurt? Very minuscule, very minuscule chance of something happening, but you may as well try. Um I'm not going to like go on some sort of soliloquy about it, though, where we just bash Todd Bowles for it. Like, yeah. If you want to say, yeah, you should have taken the time out. Okay, sure, probably. Do I think anything would have changed? No. I think this is also impacted by the fact that Baker threw one of the worst interceptions. I've this is seen. not good. <laughs> like the drive, like the drive before, like two plays into the game-winning drive, he threw a horrendous interception over the middle. Yeah. Like if if that didn't happen, then yeah, I think they kind of like they call timeouts and kind of force Detroit to kind of like play a little bit, but I mean, what was the worst ball? What was the worst? Was Jordan Love's interception to end it or oh, Baker's worst? Jordan Love was, was much worse. Okay. Jordan, so Love, much Jordan worse. Love was much, much worse. He went full Brett Favre at Minnesota least, Vikings against the Saints. At least Baker Mayfield had someone in the area. 
and was <laughs> within structure. Like mm. in a world where the middle linebacker was not reading Baker's eyes the entire time, you could see that throw happening. Jordan Love committed like four of the cardinal sins of playing <laughs> quarterback in so one bad. play. It was uh hey, he you just kind of I kind of respect it though. I just like it. You live by the crazy balls, you die by the crazy Bro, balls. There is a difference between, you know, having confidence Hold on. and the being all, the aggressive. biggest Josh Allen stand on this very program oh, is going to lecture the NFL super friends about what throws quarterback should and should not attempt in an NFL game. Is that what's happening here? I and anytime Josh does make those throws, you'll see me on mm-hmm. Twitter saying, Josh, what in the actual fuck are you doing? Like, I've right. got no problem being critical of Josh when he makes those throws. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially with Jordan, Jordan Love has become behind Josh Allen might be my favorite quarterback to watch right now. Like, he's tremendous. There's a difference between being confidently aggressive, especially if it's like, you know, a downfield one on one ball. Bro, he, it's first down. He's running to his right throwing across his body into double coverage directly to Dre Greenlaw. There's no need for it. It's I speaking of Dre Greenlaw time. running for as long as he did and refusing to go down was one of the more insane things I've ever seen. I'm just like <laughs> looking at my wife. I'm like, he's not going down. He's not going down. And I'm just doing this over and over again. I'm like, I've never seen this before. He's really like his players are not pushing him down. He's going to fumble this in the Packer. Oh, this is insanity. How is he still going? I was oh my God, he's still going. Happen, it felt like 30 minutes. He was running around with the ball. He said after the game, that Fred Warner is the one you should blame because Fred told him before the game he was going to get a pick six. Mm-hmm. And so when he caught that oh. ball, he was like, oh, I'm leaving here with something. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm, I'm leaving mm-hmm. here with something. And then, like, ran around for 30 seconds. I Look, man. That makes a lot more sense. Playing defense, you got to take every chance you get. Take every chance to score a touchdown you can get. Um, I respect it. But it's that play where you're reminded that Jordan Love is a first-year starter. Because yeah. he made a first-year starter throw. He like, made a lot of really good throws that night, too. He made a lot of great ones, night. but that w- that one was, oh, yeah, you forget that this kid has never started a full NFL season before this year. Um, Jarrett, the most yeah. telling result of the weekend was which one for you? Uh, you know, when the dreamer dies, so dies <laughs> the dream. I am, I am so depressed. Um, with Buffalo, man, um, you know, if there was ever a time it was now and Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that their like window is closed or anything, as long as if you have an elite quarterback, your window's open. And I truly believe that, but you know, they've got, I think 21 unrestricted free agents going into this off season. That includes Micah Hyde, Daquan Jones, AJ Epinesa, Gabe Davis. So they've got a lot of, um, I I think Jordan Phillips just said he might be retiring too. So like there's, they got a lot of, uh, there's going to be some resetting when it comes to what they look like, especially on the uh, defensive side of the football. What's also telling about Buffalo is they haven't drafted well. Like there's a reason why they had to give Von Miller a lot of money. It's because they wasted a lot of draft picks on guys that they were hoping would become premier edge rushers and defensive linemen that haven't. Um, So, the fact that they haven't drafted well and a lot of these older guys are now free agents, they are going to have a lot of, you know, they're going to have to move around a lot of money to get under the cap because they're $44 million over the cap as well. They're going to have to do a lot of New Orleans sainting uh, this offseason to get that money right. They're going to have to draft well. They're going to have to bring in some quality people. Um, and as it pertains to the game, it was a very weird called game from Joe Brady. Like, it was very evident early on. I don't know if he was 
I don't know if he was scared. Maybe that's the wrong word, but he was not going to test the Chiefs secondary. You know what? Rightfully so, because if you've got Legarius Sneed and Trent McDuffie on the other side, I don't trust Trent Sherfield to be either of them either. And any chance he was given to make plays, he didn't. Um, Stefan Diggs at this juncture in his career, especially in the second half of this season, is not showing the ability to separate at the next level. Uh, at the lot of scrimmage, he's still good, but when it comes to getting open in the middle and downfield, uh, he's he's slowing down in the second half of the season. So Joe Brady seemed to be very hesitant to test the ball downfield, and that shows with how the Bills operated. They ran 70, I think 71 plays, 78 plays. They only averaged 4.4 yards per play. Like they were, we're going to get this five yards at a time. We are going to be very conservative. We're going to run the ball on first down, which they were successful at doing. James Cook had a nice game. We're going to let Josh make plays with his legs, but by no means are we going to take consistent shots at Snead and McDuffie and put the ball in harm's way. So it was telling in that sense where they were trying to be, I think a little bit too conservative at times, um, but also telling in the sense that, yeah, the bills need to get Josh Allen some help because he threw three beautiful deep balls, all of which were dropped by two by Trent Sherfield, one by Stefan Diggs. The last one really changed the complexion of the game because it led to rather than the bills being in scoring position with like seven minutes left, they went on a 16 play drive to get down to under two minutes. And then Tyler Bass misses the kick. And I know that a lot of people are like, oh man, Tyler Bass kind of blew, blew the season. If the Bills tie the game, the Chiefs march down the field and kick a game-winning field goal anyway. Because outside of Kansas City taking a knee at the end of the first half and taking a knee at the end of the game, they scored on five of seven drives. They punted once, and Nicole Hardman fumbled at the one-yard line. Those are the only times that the Bills stopped Kansas City outside of the knees at the end of the first half and the end of the game. I have zero faith or in terms of if even if Bass makes the field goal that, that the Bills would win the game. If you give the ball back to Mahomes with two minutes left in timeouts, the Chiefs were going to win that game by the way that they were just demolishing the Bills. They had A.J. Klein in one-on-one coverage on Travis Kelsey multiple times. Every time it happened, Patrick said, that's cute. All right, here's another one to, to Travis. When Marquez Valdez-Scantling started catching balls, I knew it was done because he hasn't done that all year. And he made two really big catches that set them up in scoring position. So Brent Beach knew what he was doing. He was just, the Ferrari was in the garage. He was waiting to unleash him for this exact moment. And you can't forget that the first time these two played, Isaiah Pacheco did not. He had a huge game, 97 yards on 15 carries. So um, the, the I wrote in my keys to victory for the Bills leading up to um, leading up to the game that they should play the play the way that the Giants did in the Super Bowl against the Bills, where they just said, we are going to hold the ball for 40 minutes. We are going to keep Patrick Mahomes off the field. And if we do that, we'll win. They did that. They had the ball for 37 minutes. The only problem is that when the Chiefs had the ball, the defense couldn't stop them. They just marched down the field and scored. So unfortunately, um, there's a lot of questions that need answered roster-wise. They need to get the money right, and they need to get help from Josh Allen in terms of receivers. They got to probably rebuild the defense a little bit because Micah Hyde, I doubt, is coming back. Uh, they got to bring back Epinesa if they decide to do that. Um, there's just a lot of guys that a lot of guys that could be gone, a lot of guys that will be gone. There's so many things that they need to do this offseason. Again, when you have an elite quarterback like Josh Allen, I don't think your window's ever closed. I think we're going to see something similar like this with the Bengals where they're going to have to get some money right. They're going to have to bring some guys back too. As long as they have Burrow, as long as the Bills have Allen, they're going to be in it. It's just a matter of can their front offices you know, build teams around them. That's what the Chiefs have been really good at. For as good as Mahomes and Kelsey are, Brett Veach has done an amazing job of drafting. 
and getting homegrown talent around Patrick Mahomes. Bills, the Bills have not done a good job at that. <laughs> so before I start, um, Patrick Mahomes against the Bills in the playoffs per Kevin Cole. In 2020, 0.57 EPA per play, 96 percentile. 2021, 0.51 EPA per play, 93rd percentile. 2023, 0.57, 96th percentile. You can't beat him. It is nope. Patrick Mahomes and everybody else at this point. Like you, it's a cliche to say like, oh, this dude's the best quarterback in football. He's the best player in football. He is the greatest quarterback I've seen play football. Like this is, this was an insane performance in terms of sack avoidance, in terms of creating throws with his arm, with his legs. And it was also an incredibly well-called game by the Chiefs offensively. They just hammered at those linebackers just every – The Chiefs single, defensively too, by the way. Spags put it together another really good game. Every single time. Um, I think the problem with the Bills' game plan was they didn't dance with the girl that brought them there. You try to go ball control, don't. Mm -mm. If, you're, if your thing is we score a lot of points, go in with that. Go in – we throw the ball deep. We score a lot of points. Go in with that card. Go in with that. The problem was when they went to go ball control, you have to score touchdowns. They settled for a field goal, and then they missed the field goal. It's just, And then the turnover on downs, you know? it's You have to score on every drive, not field goals. You have to get touchdowns against the Chiefs. It does not matter if you hold, the ball, hold on to the ball because if you hold on to the ball and get three, they can go down and get seven. Like it's just that it's that terrifying playing the Chiefs and playing Patrick Mahomes because you have to be perfect in every single aspect of your offense. Because if you're not, and Deion Dawkins gets pushed into Josh Allen's leg and he misses a throw and you miss the kick to end up, you lose the game. If it's the if it's third down and you don't get it and you want to go for it, you leave Josh Allen on the field and you don't try and fake punt it or else the Chiefs will go down and score again like they were going to unless Miko Hardman forgot where he was. It's just you, you can't beat them. I was, I was on here last week, and I said I think the Chiefs are going to do it again because it, I cannot doubt Patrick Mahomes. I can't. It just he is playing at such an unbelievable level, and now – it feels like everybody has caught up a little bit. Like it's not to the point where there's Malcolm Marquez Valdez Gantley is just this amazing deep threat, but he's become serviceable. Rasheed Rice had a phenomenal game against uh, Miami. Wasn't that often? Wasn't that targeted as much against Buffalo? Isaiah Pacheco, phenomenal game. The run game was so good for the Chiefs. On us on Sunday, just varying up the looks, throwing different things at the linebackers. It's so tough to play this team, especially after they've already seen you, and especially with weak points at linebackers. Like you, eventually you're gonna have to pay the bill, and unfortunately for the Bills, the bill came due at Patrick Mahomes again. I also, I mean, there are so many things that like the Stephon Diggs drop was bad that will be lost in 
uh, lost in the records here. But I mean, because everyone's going to look at Bass and the missed kick and this, that, and the other. But there are so many other things that happened in the lead up here. The game should have been over if you like we changed the rule, which it seems like if, if you read the reporting on like the fumble into the end zone is probably going to end as a turnover yeah, this offseason. Don't don't get me started on just which is fumble. good. I agree. It's a silly don't rule. Fumble. Like it, I don't think you should lose possession by fumbling into don't the end fumble. zone. I, I get that, but look, you're taught it's pretty harsh. Like it's a pretty taught. harsh. It's a game swinging penalty. You are or taught a game swinging move playing football. You only reach the ball out when it's fourth down or it's the end of the game. Yeah. It's the only time you go to reach the ball because there's too many variables at play. Just we need to get people with actual like football IQ holding the ball. There's just don't stretch it out, especially with your back to the end zone. You can't see. (laughs) What are you doing? Every Everything in football today is already built against the defense. If one little court goes against the offense, to hell with it. Who cares? Hold on to the ball. If they want to take that fumble rule away, call make an eligible man downfield. Like make that a bigger penalty. Make that mm. a fifteen yard penalty. Start calling it more. In fact, ban RPOs. Screw them. Get them out the game. Get them out of my sport. Absolutely. Okay. Don't do that. Push. I think we need Get more t- RPOs out of my sport. We're taking down Tennessee first. I thought I was going to say, I thought you were going to go after the hash marks. I'm surprised you went RPO if you're going after Tennessee first. I think JP Acosta wants to revert back to like 1960s football where it's just 70 runs a game. That's right. That is he good loves the triple. Football. That is good winning no, football. Absolutely. Three not. things happen when you throw the ball and two of them are bad. That's all Jared, I'm we need to get say. you into some high school games. I guarantee you somewhere in your area this fall, you need to just pop around different games. Go watch fo- some good single wing football. They are still running yeah. the single wing in a lot oh, of high bro, schools around it, the country. Oh, hell no, they're not. That is. Yes, a- they are. What do you yes, mean? They, they absolutely are. Pigeon Forge right here has been running it. They teach them that in middle school and elementary school. They all run the same offense. So they're prepared for it when they get to high school. Oh, yeah. Like it's an identity. Yeah, I'm. I'm not doing that. I would rather watch it's just about anything. Really else fun to watch. watch. Like different option. offenses. No. High school is different, man. You'll find some some programs doing different kinds of stuff. It's, That's cool, it's cool, man. If 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 triple option wing offenses are your thing, God bless you. They are not Jarrett Bailey's thing. I will. You say go, that, JP. Will, you know, like we just got to get him into no, one no, of these I games that, and just to I see what they're doing. I mean it. I I, I mean it. Uh, I've watched it and I hate it. I watched Georgia Tech do it for a while and I was like, "This is stupid." I, Navy mm. did it for a while. What I are said, you "This is this about? is stupid." Don't, don't you don't you ever. It is ever. Don't you ever. The most your mouth to say I lo- Paul Johnson. And the flex phone offense was stupid. I Don't he won ever. a lot of games. You cannot pay me enough money to ever like cover a team that runs that. I would be bored out of my. Also, mind. I can't stand that uh, JP is going to bat for Paul Johnson and that offense, but he has just the strongest of criticisms toward Josh Heupel and the Tennessee offense. That that's because a bridge too it's far. Bullshit. That's mm-hmm. why. Mm. I think it's pretty awesome. Um, Jarrett, buy or sell? Callahan will end up being the long-term answer in uh, in Tennessee here. I and then the follow-up, how would you approach free agency, the QB room, and the draft now that you know who the, the hire is and if you're in Carthon's position? I feel like this is just such a reach. 
where hmm. Tennessee was just finding any sort of like available Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay teat to suckle at to try to get something. And this felt like a reach. Nothing against Brian Callahan, but he's not the one calling the plays there. I, I, I don't. Again, I think this is very much a reach in terms of what they do now. I don't think Will Levis is the long term answer. I think he's like bad and fun, like where you'll get a few like goofy throws a game, but I don't think he's the long term answer. Um, so now you got to figure out. They got a lot to figure out, but receiver wise, what are you going to do there? Because they don't really have anything that would lower, you know, a, a big name quarterback there. Um, defensively, there's still some some holes there. They'll hit the crap out of you. Like they're very good front seven, very hard hitting front seven that features a lot of really good guys. But you still got to figure a lot of stuff out on the back end. There's a lot to figure out with Tennessee. This isn't a one year fix. Um, and I assume that they're smart enough to realize that. And I assume that they're going to give Callahan a leash, but I didn't like the move personally. And I think, again, it was just a desperate reach to try to get something from the Sean McVay tree and hope that it pays off. But I, I I just don't see it working out. I actually think it's kind of interesting. And the reason Hmm. I say that is if you ask anyone who wrote and covered Cincinnati, Brian Callahan was key in helping Jake Browning get used to being in an NFL offense when Joe Burrow got hurt. And he was key in meshing the Zach Taylor play calls with what Jake Browning was good at. And he's been very good at developing and helping young quarterbacks like he did with Joe Burrow and how he helped Jake Browning again. So I think this move would be interesting for Will Levis in terms of his development. I'm very intrigued by who he brings in on his staff. Of course, the big name is Bill Callahan, Brian Callahan's father, who is one of the best offensive line coaches in football, currently offensive line coach for the Browns. If he's able to get his dad to come coach with him in Tennessee, I'm much more intrigued. But I do feel like this is interesting because you fired Mike Rabel to hire a guy who, again, going to be a not, I don't think he's going to be calling plays, but to hire a guy who, for all intents and purposes, was basically a quarterback coach. So it'll be interesting to see how it all works out for them. But I do think it's it's not a bad hire. It's not a if I were to give it a grade, I'd probably say like C plus, B minus. Does it have a potential? Uh, I mean, sure. like, do you think he's the long term guy there? Do you think we're looking at a five year run for Callahan? I think it depends on what they do at quarterback. If hmm. they can get the most out of Will Levis and they decide it's not good enough, hey, twenty twenty five is shaping up to be a pretty good year to draft a quarterback. But if they can get the most out of Will Levis and he is good, then, hey, maybe we're cooking with something. I'm very curious what this means now because obviously Carthon Terry happy. It's like, all right, be careful what you wish for, Titans fans. Everyone's excited. I mean, look, you get an offensive-minded coach. Things change a little bit. It's like we're uh, we're all on the same page with uh, ownership, the front office, the coach now. But now you got to fix the quarterback situation. Now you got to go win football games again. Now you got a division that's only getting uh, tougher year over year. The Texans are not going anywhere. Um, the Jaguars hired uh, my long lost friend, Ryan Nielsen, uh, which was, uh, let me check my notes here, brutal uh, for my Atlanta Falcons. So I think they'll have a nice bounce back year, uh, I would anticipate. We'll see the biggest wild card in the division being the Indianapolis Colts. 
um, where they're at with Anthony Richardson in year two. Um, but look, man, this is a competitive division, and I I'm just very curious if they fall off a cliff and Callahan's kind of the fall guy of this rebuild that just gets really bad and um, he's just kind of in over his head, uh, kind of to the what you you alluded to here, Jared. It's just too much too soon for him, like not even calling yeah. plays at this point. But there's also, I guess, if you're a Titans fan, the best case scenario is like he's an ultimate CEO coach, right? He yeah, grew up in the, the profession. Point. Like if he hires well and he coaches the quarterbacks well, look, they might be okay. But so much of being a great NFL coach is just being a great CEO and being a great organizer of talent, a great uh, talent evaluator, being a great coaching evaluator. And he might be that, but we don't. it remains to be seen. But I think right. it's just, there's going to be, like uh, JP, you said, I'm very curious to see what his staff looks like and how he organizes this offseason. Two of the four coaches left in the playoffs right now are CEO coaches. So, mm. I mean, and, what's and you talk about um, like 2025, the you know draft class for quarterbacks. You look at like the potential free agents. Now, I, there's some on this list that aren't going to hit free agency. Like Dak's on a potential he's not hitting free agency. But like depending on what the Dolphins do, Tua might be a free agent. And if you need a upgraded quarterback to work that system, maybe maybe you go with a, a Trey Lance. Maybe you go with a, a Jared Goff. Maybe I don't know. If oh, he's, he's, not, he's not hitting free agency. They're going to keep him in the city. Sure, but I think they could do the meanest thing ever, though, which is, I mean, sell, sell high on the Jericho experience, similar to I, I what McVay did. I don't think they're going to do that. Uh, I think that that city loves him too much and that team loves him too much. That's a dangerous place to be, though. Can't let sure. your emotions get in the way of uh, you're finally good. You got to act like it. You got to. You gotta do some tough stuff where you're like, hey, Jared, thank you so much for getting us over the hump and, uh, and we I appreciate think, it forever, but um, thank you for your service, but we can't do this. I think that if Ben Johnson gets a head coaching job, life after Ben Johnson, that'll be very telling if they decide to to keep that train rolling. Um, mm. So we'll, we'll see there. So, you know, there's there'll be a few different options when the time does come. Um, I'll, I'll go with a positive, you know, view you know in terms of what it could be um if he hires well great then the afc south could be very fun with you know the three quarterbacks at uh, in jacksonville houston in indianapolis and then whatever tennessee does in this new era post mike Vrabel, derrick henry again if he's able to get bill callahan away from uh cleveland i'm i get a little a little more interested I think he, I mean, that's, it's kind of funny. We're having these battles this off season. Cause like if Belichick takes a job, he's gonna have to battle Gerard for his son um, to come and leave new England. And then you got Brian Callahan battling Cleveland to get uh, his dad to come home and coach with him. Dad, come on like dad. Mm-hmm. What? It's just, that's just so funny to me. Like, doesn't matter how old you get, like you, these cir- cir- circumstances can still pop up. What dad wouldn't want to coach football with his son? Like, come uh, on. Play, on. Play this one? Okay. What, what dad I don't think my dad and I would have coached together. Love my dad, but I don't think we're coaching together. I mean, Bill coached with Steve, and he obviously loved it. Yeah. He didn't fire him. And Steve is hmm. obviously good at his job. But, I mean, again, if he's able to make some really good hires, which, yeah, of course, he seems very well connected in the coaching circles. Son of a coach, been in a lot of different systems. We'll see. 
Brian Johnson, Matt Patricia right there to jumpstart this Tennessee Titans offseason. <laughs> Good Lord. Um, well, uh, flipping back here, uh, JP, tape don't lie. What did Lamar Jackson do to break down the Texans defense as viciously as he did over the weekend? All right, so you you guys know that meme where the dude sat up in the chair with the video game controller? That was Lamar Jackson in the second half. I think the coolest thing was both these teams' game plans. I know the score ended 34-10, to 10, but this was mm-hmm. awesome to watch. First of all, kudos to the Texans and D'Amico Ryans completely flipping their tendencies, just throwing their tendencies out the window. D'Amico, the Texans don't blitz a lot. They never blitzed a lot. On Saturday, they were like, screw that. We're going, we're turning this up to 11. We're cranking it to max volume. And it reminded me of the Thursday night football game in 2021 where the Dolphins beat the Ravens and uh, Brian Flores pants Greg Roman by just blitzing the entire game. But what we saw then was there were a bunch of long developing routes that basically said, Lamar, go do something. Don't don't help him out. You know, Mm. I think the biggest thing that we need to understand and learn about quarterbacks is they can be very, very good, but also need help. Not everybody can drag a team by themselves again, unless you're Patrick Mahomes. But what happened in the second half was Lamar and Todd Munkin, it was said after the game, Lamar went to Todd Munkin and said, hey, change the game plan. We're doing this. And Todd Munkin was like, yeah, let's do it. They went to shorter routes. First drive out of the second half, uh, Texans blitz, play cover one. Slant route to Nelson Aguilar. Blitz, play cover one next place, 16-yard stick route to Isaiah Likely. It's those types of things. It's the adjustments that gets made in halftime. That's what separates good teams from great teams. Houston is a good team. The Ravens are great. The Ravens adjusted when the Texans didn't. Because as soon as they came out of the first half, out of the second half, I mean, throwing a quick routes, and Houston was just blitzing, the game was over. Because they they found it. They found the way to beat your blitz. And it was through quick passes, get the ball to your receivers in space. Isaiah Likely, just phenomenal player. Phenomenal player. Um, Rashad Cool Bates, TD catch. Bates, oh, amazing TD catch. On a play that, they, that Greg Roman actually had in like the one page of his passing notebook. He ran that play <laughs> a lot for Isaiah Likely. Um, he ran it against uh, the Saints last year. He ran it in 21. He ran it against Tampa Bay last year. For, Is it likely we see it again against Kansas City? It's definitely likely we see it against Kansas City. See I that? see what you did there. Yeah, yeah, uh, but yeah, I think the biggest thing was the adjustments. Leaning on Lamar in the design run game, the QB draw touchdown, was perfect against cover one and man coverage. Because if, they're, if you just spread them all out, there's like six people left in the box. And that's five, that's five linemen and then Gus Edwards, who, who makes a block, and then a safety versus Lamar in space. I'm taking Lamar every time. The uh, the second touchdown run on fourth down, they actually ran that play against Detroit earlier this year where they have mm. Ricard in motion and they fake the uh, – it's an old play. It's an old naked bootleg. You run it all the time in peewee football when you have a quarterback who's pretty fast, faster than all like the 9-, 10-year-old kids, and you fake the run and he just run around the corner. But this time they'd have Ronnie Stanley pulling – and he just uh, he just wailed on whoever the corner was at that point because Patrick Ricard was the only receiving target on that side. So when he goes in motion, you just bump over, and now a corner's in the run fit. So just the overall adjustment to leaning on Lamar's legs and his processing in the quick game. 
is really what turned that game into a blowout. Also, <laughs> I think Jared might touch on it, but the fact that C.J. Stroud, if you would have said before the game, C.J. Stroud was not going to get sacked and was not going to turn the ball over, what do you think was going to happen? Right. You thought the Texans would make that a game. They didn't score a single offensive touchdown. That is – we have to give – I know we give Mike McDonald a lot of credit, but I think he needs to get more credit because he's faced Slowick twice, who's going to get head coaching uh, opportunities, faced Shane Waldron, faced Kyle Shanahan, faced McVay in the rain. He faced uh, – who else? Faced Doug Peterson and uh, Press Taylor, however you want to look at Press Taylor. Um, who else was it this Play year? Detroit. Played play Ben Johnson. Took on Kevin Stefanski. He pants all of the Shanahan, like Mike McDaniel. He pants all of the Shanahan tree. He put them, he stuffed them all in the locker. Like that's the most impressive job of this season. Just overwhelming these great offenses and making them each have their worst day against you. Houston didn't score. In the two games that Houston played against Baltimore, they scored 19 points and did not score a touchdown on offense. That's so that's so damn cool. And, and I know JP touched on it in terms of giving D'Amico credit for changing his game plan. I think that speaks a lot to just the modern thinking uh, of D'Amico Ryan's and where he came from in San Francisco, because D'Amico is usually, okay, we're going to run cover four. We're going to, you know, stay in quarters and whatnot. Blitz the hell out of them. And I give him a ton of credit for that. Um, and in terms of Houston as a whole, like you could tell this is a young team, a lot of pre-snap penalties that they finished with 11 penalties as a whole on the game, a lot of false starts, um, a lot of just miscommunication and a lot of pressure that was on CJ Stroud throughout the game that killed a lot of potential scoring chances for, for Houston. Um, There's multiple times where they were either in field goal range or flirting with field goal range and it's third down and CJ Stroud, like they Baltimore and Mike Donald send five guys, send six guys. Stroud runs around and eats a sack. Oh, you got a punt now. Now you can't even take a chance at a field goal. So Mike McDonald did a lot of really, you know, what he's done all year. Um, And it was pretty evident that, okay, Houston, Great run. They got a playoff win out of it, um, but still need a little bit of help. They missed Tank Dell. Uh, that was another very evident thing. It's like, okay, we can go to Nico. We can go to Dalton Schultz a little bit. We don't have another you know, guy on the outside that we can consistently rely on. And Baltimore feasted on that. But credit where it's due to Houston for you know doing what they did in the first half and having Baltimore, I think, a little bit shell-shocked because of, you know they weren't expecting to see Houston do that. Um, but the Ravens did a great job at, at capitalizing and answering with their own, you know, change of change of plans in the second half. It's a huge win. I think it's going to be fun to see Ravens chiefs. I think that's the best matchup for everybody involved. Um, it's, it's going to be fun. I think that game's going to actually be very close to the end. And I'm curious if you guys feel the same where I think that game's going to be very, very close. I think the Niners are going to kick the crap out of the Lions. I think it's going to be an ugly, ugly ending to the Lions season in San Francisco. Not uh, statue quarterbacks do not do well against the San Francisco 49ers. I just, I think 
Jared Goff's in for a really, really rough afternoon next weekend. And I think the Lions get stomped um, by the Niners. That's my gut instinct, is that Ravens-Chiefs comes down to the wire and Niners-Lions is in a game in the fourth quarter. Do you all agree? So my two questions for Niners-Lions. First one, is Debo Samuel playing? That that Niners team is very different without Debo Samuel. The ability to generate easy offense, the run game, so different without Debo Samuel. Also, the offensive line kind of looked bad against mm. the Packers and against a Joe Barry defense. That's the problem. Second, is it going to be a good defensive line? The Packers have talent. It's not like they don't have talent. People have just gone against Barry. They've invested a billion first round picks and a bunch of dudes, um, Clark especially, there on the defensive line. I mean, they have guys. Like, it's not like they the biggest able to defend indictment. They're out of 21 personnel on base. That's the biggest thing. Mm. Um, second thing, is it going to be raining? Because Brock Purdy mm-hmm. doesn't Brock Purdy don't play the great good equalizer in rain. for Jared Goff. <laughs> we Brock need Purdy some rain. Don't play good in rain. He he has baby hands. He uh the Brock Purdy stuff has gone too far, man. We we cannot keep doing this. It's going to end all football discussion. He played bad until the last drive. Yeah. That's fine to say. It's fine to say that because it was also raining. There you go. It was raining and he played bad. A lot of quarterbacks play bad in the rain. Why do you think he specifically, because some quarterbacks, you wouldn't know. Like, why does Brock Purdy especially, is it really a hand thing? So explain the hand things in the rain. Like, why does that make it more detrimental for you quarterbacks? Can't gri- you can't grip the ball. Yeah. The ball's a lot wetter mm. to grip. Uh, you saw it during the play. He was drying his hands off during a play to throw yeah, the ball. Yeah, yeah, Like, it's just, it's really difficult to grip a wet ball. He it's started like, He started the game with a glove. When you have longer fingers and bigger hands, it's easier to grip in the rain. Yeah, I think I'd hmm. be less worried about Jared Goff in the rain because he has big hands, you know. Like Interesting. He's able, to, he's able to grip the ball, but I would gloves help. Would he? Should he not be going full Kenny Pickett in these games? Like he, 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 he wore, wore he wore a glove on like the first dunked. two drives. Yeah. Oh, I didn't even notice that. I just remember yeah. the it. I didn't even realize he had gloves on early. And then he took off a glove. And oh, stunk. And he still stunk. <laughs> he still stunk. Maybe maybe it's just a rain again. He was down to the remember, space uh, space jam juice. That was remember his the last, loss uh, against Cleveland. Debo was out and it was raining and yeah. they lost. The next week, they played the Vikings in a dome. <laughs> Debo was out and they lost to an NFC North team. Who would have thought that the great equalizers taking one of their four All World offensive players away and a drizzle? That's yeah, that's all it takes. Know. But isn't it weird though the game plan? Because I thought that was the strangest part to me. It's like, yeah, Debo was out for the second half, and Debo obviously is a big part of what they do. But CMC is has been fantastic. Oh, I don't know why great. they were throwing so much. That was the weird part to me is they kept putting the ball in his hands, and they're taking these crazy third and longs, and they're just putting Brock in these positions where it's like, what are you doing? Why aren't you running the football? Because the Packers were able to defend the run. Like that, but when you really go down like that, wouldn't that be better than just letting Brock Purdy just continue trying to do anything in the rain? If you if you ran 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 punt, Jordan Love was going to put forty points on you. Hmm. Like it, you had to do something. You had to throw the ball at least once. And Brock Purdy made a good throw. The throw to Conley was yeah. a good throw on the last drive of the game. He saved his one good throw for the last drive of the game. I think Debo matters a lot more to this offense than people let on because of how mm. easy he makes offense. Like he's he's the best check down in the NFL because it's huh. not really a check down. You're getting eight yards. Like you're guaranteed eight yards. The first play out of halftime, they ran an outside zone with Jawan Jennings. I love Jawan Jennings. 
What's he doing out that there? That was hilarious, by what's the he, way. What's he doing? What that What are you doing? Giving him the, ball? the funniest play call, where he's like, "Oh, Debo's not here." John Jennings, like you know, you know that scene from Wedding Crashers when they're playing football and Christopher Walken tries to call it his It's like, "Todd, come on in here." That's what they tried to do with Jawan Jennings, and they found out real quick. Oh yeah, Jawan Jennings isn't Debo. Jawan Jennings Hold found on. out he real quickly. He's he clutch. was uh, what the hell is a polar bear doing in Arlington, Texas? And I love Jawan Jennings. Though. Phenomenal blocker. He had a great block on a big. Yeah, he. Who did he push out into the just the the opponent bench? He pushed him into the bench. It was so funny. I think it was uh, not Eric. It was Darnell Savage, but uh, the he's great at it, man. He found his niche. Shout out to Jawan Jennings. He found his niche in the NFL, and it's got him paid for a long time. Quarterback, former high school quarterback, Jawan Jennings. Now Mm -hmm. one of the best receiver blocking receivers in the NFL. Uh, I am very intrigued to see how this offense looks. Sans Debo. Against a team, against an offense that you're gonna have to score touchdowns, and I'm curious, and it's morbidly curious, I think, at this point, to see if Kyle Shanahan nuts up a little bit. Uh, he's he's a little bit of a coward. He, wow, he's a, little, he's a little bit of a coward. Um, the drive to end the first half was the stupidest, most galaxy brain thing I've mm-hmm. ever seen. Willingly running the clock down so you don't. So you don't give the ball back to the other team when you have the Monstars on offense and you can go score a touchdown and you get the ball at half and instead opting to kick a field goal with your kicker who might not be that good, who ended up missing wide right in the rain. Who could have told you that? Kyle Shanahan, it's his Achilles heel is clock management and timeout. All the Shanahan McVay people, they struggle with clock management and timeouts. They spent all their XP on strength and dexterity <laughs> and not intelligence when it comes to the clock. It's, it was so bad. It's, it almost cost them the game, but you can't do that. Again. You can't settle for field goals against Detroit because Detroit's going to go try and score a touchdown. If they get to fourth and short, they're going to go for it. They're going to go for it every time. So I'm morbidly curious to see if Kyle Shanahan actually like grows up. Wow. And plus, like, I'm also curious to see, like, what the Ben Johnson Detroit Lions offense looks like because they live and die with over-the-middle stuff. And it's going to be a lot different throwing against Fred Warner and Dre Greenlaw than it is against K.J. Britt. So if they're going to try, you know, a lot of these these end-breakers, these, you know, these dagger stuff with Amon Ra and Sam Laporta against those two, it's going to be much. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. More difficult. 
and they don't really have a guy on the outside that can take the top off a of defense like they thought Jameson Williams could be. He has not been. Now it's just like, okay, Josh Reynolds, cross our fingers. So uh, there's, I think I agree with you, Chase, that it could get very ugly very quickly because what the Lions look to do offensively, it's going to be very hard to do against the 49ers. Remember the last time the Lions played a team with two good, two great middle linebackers. They lost 37 to three. Like that's not great. Not it's great. not great. Now, in in terms of, I mean, we touched on Chiefs Ravens already. I, I said last week the winner of Chiefs Bills is going to go to the Super Bowl, and I think they're going to win it. I still stick with that. Like the NFL kind of needs them to win because the whole Super Bowl color uh, script needs to mm-hmm. needs to end because uh, this will be three straight if we're chalk here. And that all, the other part of it too is like, I just when was the last time? Four, uh, two number one seeds in both sides of the conference uh, went back to back to the Super Bowl. I feel like that's pretty rare. I don't know. I would have to because we went number one, number one last year, and this is would be number one, number one again this year. I don't know. One of these two is losing to me, and like you said, I just think it's going to be the Ravens. I think think it will be. I'm not betting against Mahomes. Everybody else can bet against Mahomes. I'm not doing this. I, that's, I'm just not. That's the big thing with me. And I know JP wants to hop in, but let, let me, you know, say go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. So the thing, obviously, Chase just said it. I'm not betting against this team who's in their sixth AFC championship game with Patrick Mahomes and an elite defense. Not doing it. Um, the thing that the Chiefs are going to do, like obviously, the Ravens have been great in terms of just about every metric until Spags stacks the box and goes press man. And he says, okay, Zay Flowers, you want to go against LeJerry Sneed? Go ahead. Odell Beckham, you want to take on Trent McDuffie? Go ahead. That's fine. We're going to send Chris Jones. We're going to send five guys at Lamar and see what happens. Uh, I think that the Chiefs defense and oh, I said, the Chiefs defense, I think, is going to be the great equalizer. And I think that the Ravens offense is going to struggle. Um, and then when it comes to Mike McDonald, like we just ran through everybody that he's gone through. He hasn't exactly played like he hasn't played a quarterback like Patrick Mahomes. Like, yeah, they beat on the Lions with with Goff, who's good. They beat on Jacksonville, but Jacksonville shot themselves in the foot more than Baltimore, like, eat them up defensively. Uh, they beat up Geno Smith. Like, they beat up, like, they haven't faced anybody quite like Mahomes yet. And it, if their game plan is send five and try to get pressure on Mahomes, they're going to get killed because no quarterback is better under pressure than Patrick Mahomes. So I think that the best quarterback we've ever seen, plus an elite defense, plus nobody on Baltimore has been in this spot before. I think that's also a big thing where like the experience of, hey, we've like, if you're Mahomes, if you're Kelsey, if you're Chris Jones, who like by week 10, they're just like, can we just get to the AC championship game already? Like, can we just speed this up? Like, we know we're going to be there. You're Baltimore. Mars never been there. Like the only person on this team that's been been to an AC championship game, I'm pretty sure, is John Harbaugh. Um, I got Odell Beckham too with, with Los Angeles. But for the most part, this team hasn't been there, done that. The Chiefs consistently go there and do that. So I think best quarterback we've ever seen and an elite defense, elite defensive play caller, elite offensive play caller. I'm not betting against this team uh, of getting it done. So I've been very big this playoffs on I'm not betting against Patrick Mahomes until this week. I'm, oh, no. pick, I'm picking the Ravens here. Um, the reason why, and first of all, I think uh, Mark Andrews and Marlon Humphrey 
will both probably be back for the AFC Championship game. That changes the math for the Ravens offensively and defensively. Um, I just think they have a lot of a lot more answers to questions that the Chiefs will throw at them than the Bills will. And I think the Bills, I think the I sort of think the Bills played to not lose with their offensive game plan. Sure. I don't think the Ravens are going to do that. Um, I think if you want to play man against the Chief, against the Ravens, sure, go ahead, man, because you risk having a linebacker having to tackle Lamar Jackson in space. That's the only only issue there. I would not want to risk that on every play because the Texans tried to do that for – or not – they didn't try to do that. They did – they went to zone coverage, and Lamar obliterated them. I – think defensively it's going to be a lot different it's going to be a lot different than what sean mcdermott tried to do it's going to be a lot different than what Vic fangio tried to do i think the pressure thing is different because of how mike mcdonald sends pressures it's not always going to be five people they're going to they're going to show like six or seven and then drop all of them and play drop eight they had a nasty blitz Nasty pressure against C.J. Stroud, where he dropped right under Nico Collins, and Stroud was like, "Oh, I can't throw this anymore," and had to and had to run. I think this is going to be another. I think the Ravens' defense is going to pitch another one. They're going to pitch another real good performance. Um, I think Lamar just has too many answers. I think this year Lamar has too many answers offensively. I think the Texans posed a lot of questions for the Ravens receiver group with how much man they played. And Zay Flowers played phenomenal. Of course, it's going to be different going against the Chiefs secondary. That is very, very, very good. But I just think I think this year is the Ravens. Like I they've been the best team in football. I'm not I'm not going against Lamar and the Ravens. I I just can't. I That's am fair. I can and I will. <laughs> So what's our final I, picks here? So JP, you're going Ravens. Kinda, uh, I'm also kind of leaning into the uh, the Super Bowl color thing. The Super Bowl color <laughs> thing. That's great. I, I, I think it's got, it's got some legs to it. It's got some legs to it. I just like, I mean, it, the one thing that I would push, I don't remember. Who was it for uh, two years ago? I'm blanking. Uh, Rams, oh, Rams, Bengals. Rams Bengals. What seats were they? Was that uh, one, two? No, they were the Bengals were, were four. They were, they were four. They were three they or were, four. They were four. Uh, they hosted four a playoff five. game. I know that it was four or five. They hosted the Raiders. Okay, yeah. So that was four or five. And then what were the Rams? They would they have been five. the five because, because the 49ers won the division. Okay. Did they? Yeah. See, that's what throws me because I was like, oh, well, maybe no, they're high. Really it's no, like a good it. gamble because the they NFL, re- huh? That year, the Rams won the Super Bowl. They didn't. Jimmy Garoppolo got hurt that year, right? Because Jimmy no. G got hurt. No. It was no, Kyler. They played them in the AFC Championship game. Kyler and the Cardinals were really good that year. Mm-hmm. No, because okay. they played. They played the Rams. No, I think the Rams won the division in because SoFi. Ky- the Rams in won. SoFi. Yeah, the so Rams the Rams won the division. division. Okay, the Rams, so it was two fours. Okay. Okay. So even still, like that's still a bold move to put those colors on with the two fours as like the colors for the Super Bowl. Because I was thinking, Guys, I was like, that, it's scripted. not bold to put the two colors over <laughs> one seeds back to back years. I I don't know. Guys, the NFL isn't scripted. This is just a very fun coincidence. We don't know. If we do happens, know. It's not it, scripted. If it happens again, <laughs> oh my god. And if it happens again and the winner was always on the bottom. If Baltimore wins the Super Bowl, 
I'm just saying. Okay. I'm just saying. He's just saying. And then I guess we're all going Niners, right? Is are all three of us going Niners? I would love for the Lions to win. I just don't see a way that they do. A Baltimore Detroit Super Bowl would be the blackest in terms of cities. <laughs> in terms of cities, I knew where you were I knew what you were thinking, Jared. You I knew where I was going with this. In terms of cities, it'd be the blackest Super Bowl possibly of all time. Uh I would love it. Oh, it's so funny. But I think I think the magic kind of runs out a little bit mm. on, on Sunday. I just I worry about the Lions against a team that can win with four. Don't get me wrong, I would love for the Lions to win and I hope that they do. Um I just I just don't think it's going to happen. I do not either. Uh, Jared, what can the good folks check out from you over at USA Today behind the steel curtain and the pump pick this week? Um, I wrote a piece on what we kind of talked about a little bit, hinted at it, the the Brock Purdy stuff, um, how we just need to find some middle ground. And I attempted to do that. Um, I talked about Debo as well and kind of gave the, uh, the EPA stuff when he's on the field compared to when he's off the field and how he is kind of the catalyst of this offense rather than it being Purdy or anybody else. So go read that. Uh, my, my piece on the polarization of Brock Purdy. Uh, yeah, Steelers stuff. The offseason's here. We're doing a bunch of uh, draft coverage, a bunch of mock draft stuff. Uh, they just interviewed, they're requesting an interview. Um, Rams pass game coordinator and quarterback coach Zach Robinson for their offensive coordinator vacancy, who would be the youngest coordinator that Mike Tomlin has ever hired. And it would make my little tail wag if they did it. Um, so hopefully they do. Um, and then I'll be doing some uh, some more Bills stuff for, for A to Z. I'm going to try to find um, the perfect way to construct their 53-man roster for next year, how I would do it, the draft stuff. It's going to be a big, long process. But that's what I'll be doing. And then Pump Fake, yeah, t- two episodes a week. Uh, we'll be doing one tomorrow, um, or I guess today, if you're listening to this as a podcast. Um, yeah, recapping the uh, division around and previewing the conference championship round. Stet the Jet would be perfect uh, following uh, Zach Robinson to Pittsburgh. Terrible towel. I would love Stetson Bennett over there as a, as no. a just a, a flyer guy. He's not. Stet the Jet. Two-time Why? champ. They can just draft Bo Nix. It's the same thing. No, hold on. I think so Bo's going to be fine. I don't know. I've talked myself back and forth into Bo Nix. I don't know. I don't know what to do with that one. Um, JP Acosta, what about you over at SBNation.com this week? Um, got a big board dropping for uh 2024 draft. I'm excited to reveal it. Top 50 prospects this year. Uh, spoiler: Marvin Harrison Jr. is number one. Uh, I also going to be doing a lot of work uh covering the uh the playoffs. Of course, going to be watching a lot of film. Follow me there. Uh, made some tier list today of quarterbacks that everybody <laughs> should love. And everybody will, I assume, agree with and love and never disagree with anything. And even if you do disagree, I'm not taking questions. So <laughs> there you go. I also think it's going to be wild when JP ha- uh, next year, he has to do a whole opening here where I'm like, so JP, when you're doing your 2025 mock, is that a Tennessee Volunteers, the number one overall defensive player going number one potentially? I mean, he's, the- he's good. He, he's James really Pierce good. might go James, number one. James next Pierce year. is really good. He's really, he's really good. That's he the best plays for my team, Jared. 
he's pretty I, I, awesome. I, I, he can I drop into coverage yeah. now. He's just becoming more of of uh, just an all around just insane athlete. But he had a pick six in the Iowa game where he just drops into coverage. What position like, does he oh, play? Oh, this is an edge. He's an edge rusher. Oh, he's an edge rusher. And okay. I mean, sometimes linebacker, sometimes free safety. Maybe he he plays quarterback a little. What can James Pierce not do? That's what many are asking here in Knoxville, Tennessee. JP Acosta, Jared Bailey, thank you as always. And I'll talk to y'all next week. All right, welcome back to another edition of the Atlanta Sports Guys here on the Chase Thomas Podcast, where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee, everything school HQ up there in Washington, D.C. right now. Max Markovich. I was going to say Maxwell Markovich, but I'm like, I'm just going to do Max Markovich, a Padilla Python legend, Michigan legend, all champs all the time for Max Markovich. Congratulations on the national title a few weeks back. But uh, Max, good evening. How are you? Thank you. Yes, I have not been here since uh, being crowned a national champion. And Mm -hmm. fittingly, I believe we're going to talk about at least two Michigan men on this podcast. We are. Is it? But is there part of you that's like seeing what's happening to Alabama the last week? You're like that looming departure or maybe you're like, well, it's going to be Sharon Moore if he and then we'll keep a lot of the guys. Or are you are you just dreading the inevitable big portal uh, launch? Okay. I'm, I'm, at, I'm completely at peace with it. Uh, the thing is, like each of the last like four years, I've had to go through this mental exercise anyway. So it's kind of like there's ever a time to do it it might as well be like right after a natty like i've given myself a five-year grace period of like i'm not gonna get mad about anything yeah if we get gutted and and we stink for a few years like that's okay we'll, we'll we won it's all good I, hey i i like the attitude um and we'll see like we'll we'll see what happens maybe he's coaching uh the atlanta falcons and i feel like that's the best of both worlds for you if he does wind up in atlanta after winning a national title at michigan you're like yeah, that's awesome. I enjoy the the Harbaugh experience. With, is that your number one pick right now? Because we're talking Falcons head coaching search and then little DeJounte Murray. Is is Harbaugh number one on your, your coaching wish list for the Falcons? I think he would be the best hire. Um, okay. For me personally, it would, it would be a very conflicted emotion. Um, but I think he would be the best hire. And I I'm going to make the case for Mike McDonald later or in a bit, I guess, but I'm noticing a trend here. Well, I, I have other guys. I mean, I would love to mm. hire Ben Johnson. I don't think they're going to hire Ben, but um, I don't think they're the hiring case, Ben Johnson either, but we'll get to that. Uh, Jim Harbaugh isn't just what Jim Harbaugh brings. And, and I have followed many a Jim Harbaugh team. Um, it's that he brings with him like the next version of Mike McDonald and Jesse Minter. He knows mm. everybody in the league. He can, he's going to hire a good offensive coordinator. He's going to he's going to have the be- one of the better staffs in the league immediately. Um, and if you hire one of these young coordinators, you don't get that. Um, and so there's there's less of the unknown. But with Jim Harbaugh, especially in the past few years, he's really evolved as um, a coach and, and as like he's he's contrary to like popular belief about him he's super open-minded like he is constantly changing uh he's adapting to his team he's adapting to his fellow coaches after 2020 i think when michigan went two and four um and he was he had a salary cut in half he completely overhauled the staff went super young um found guys who he had 
you know, never worked with, never knew. He's not a Belichick type in this way. And so I think like when you're talking to me about like the difference between a Belichick hire, and I'm sure we'll get into that, and a Harbaugh hire, mm. like Harbaugh is first of all, 10 years younger. And second of all, super adaptable. And like, I think has adapted really well to modern college football. Like his primary task at Michigan was, was okay, how do we beat Ohio State? Who runs, I mean, Ryan Day runs an NFL offense um, and a really good one. And so he had to dip into the NFL well to do that. And he he got these two, granted they worked with his brother, so that's that's helpful. Two young defensive coordinators who were like rising through the ranks of the Ravens system. Mike McDonald had started at Georgia, by the way, uh, went to Centennial High School. Mm. And that's how he broke through. It was by hiring these two like 30-something, you know, really young guys who were, you know, underqualified for the position, I guess. But but like that's that was he, he, the best trait he has, I guess, is his hiring. Um, and mm-hmm. the second best trait he has is like his team building. Like I haven't seen a team at Michigan that hasn't, I mean, COVID year aside, that hasn't gotten the most out of its talent. And I think, uh, you know, it could be a short burn uh, in terms of like, He's a weird dude and he, you know, like can wear on people pretty quick. And I don't know how that would work with Blank. I don't know how that would work with McKay, dear God. But I think they'd be really good and win a lot of games really quickly. And I think that like there's more of a long-term vision there to me there than with Belichick. I don't know how you feel about Harbaugh, Belichick, Brable type. I so we've talked about it in the the group chat. I mean I think I'm ruining all day by me just throwing out there. I don't know if it's me being cautiously, not even just caught. It wouldn't be cautious, cautiously optimistic. It's more of like reading the tea leaves. And it's almost like it depends on who you trust, like who you're reading and sources and stuff like that to develop where you think this search is ultimately going to wind up. But my gut just tells me there's something to the job preservation mode from Rich McKay and Terry Fontenot that Harbaugh, who dealt with a bunch of stuff with Trent Baalke in San Francisco. Part of the reason that relationship and he was not the long-term guy there was because of that GM coach relationship. And when he's been in college, he's been the uh, de facto GM. He is make he has that personnel control and that I'm going to guess wherever he winds up, he's going to be the final decision maker or have a very, very strong influence on final decisions that uh, the team makes. And then I think the same is true for Bill where I just, I think you're running into a wall where like, yeah, it's cool that they're interviewing multiple times with Arthur Blank and this, that, and the other, but the impasse is still the impasse, which is Arthur Blank's a very loyal guy. <laughs> he, Rich McKay is part of the conversation. Rich McKay is going to be part of the, part of the conversation. Terry Fontenot is a huge, uh, just unclear situation at GM right now. Is he a lame duck GM? Is like, what is the the path there? So I'm sure that there's probably not a straight answer on that front when they're doing these interviews uh, as to what the future might hold for Terry. And is he a part of it? Are you going to be allowed to bring in your own guy? It's a weird process. It started off weird with Terry not being there in that opening press conference. I just think those established big names are going to look at the Falcons job and they're like, hey, we appreciate it. We like Arthur Blank. We like the potential. We like the skill position guys. We like the offensive line we like the this the the leap the defense made this past year but um yeah this isn't what we ultimately want and i think 
it's going to be kind of embarrassing because so much has been just been obsessed with uh bill and jim and it just seems like a foregone conclusion that one of the two will wind up here maybe i'll end up looking foolish and they'll hire bill tonight or tomorrow whatever or jim but to me this screams of the big names say no and we've seen this before like mike smith wasn't calling plays when he was hired as the head coach many years ago for the atlanta falcons and it wasn't like this big sexy name but like arthur blank was looking he was big fish hunting early he big fish hunts a lot during these coaching searches. And what we've seen is like, that's not where they've gone. Like Dan Quinn was a relative unknown. Um, he was not a big, uh, just, he wasn't a coordinator. I think he was what one year for Seattle as a defensive coordinator before he got the job. with yeah, the Falcons. Mike Smith sure. wasn't even, yeah. he was the DC at Jacksonville, but he wasn't calling plays. I, my gut just tells me it's going to be one of those kind of names is that this winds up being, whether it's Brian Johnson in Philadelphia, which is my leader in the clubhouse based on how this search is going. I think Ben says no, um, based on where we're at right now. I think, cause I think my gut says he winds up in Washington uh, with uh, Peters. I think that's where he, he takes the job. And then I just think the Falcons might suddenly be the worst job available because the Dan Morgan gets the Panthers job, right? Uh, as the GM. And he's like the one, a hero, that kind of thing. But you have a number one overall pick in Bryce Young, who the right coach might like him a lot. And that makes it a little bit more appetizing to me, potentially, is that I understand the ownership part of it with Tepper and everything else. But they're also desperate enough and rich enough that Tepper just being like, I'll give you full control. I'll do this, that and the other. Like, And also, you have this quarterback in Bryce Young, who by all accounts still has a lot of potential upside. The right coach might see something in Bryce where they're like, oh, yeah, I can do something there. The Falcons is still a huge unknown. Uh, unknown. They're at number eight. Like, they're not in a position to draft a franchise quarterback uh, right now at that spot. You'll have to trade up. You'll have to give up some assets to get in that top three where I think it's going to take to get one of the quarterbacks you really want in the 2024 draft. All of this screams to me is it's going to be, I, yes, man might be too strong, but I just think it's going to be a coordinator that is willing to do this weird group collaborative Rich McKay, Terry Fontenot effort. It, that's I, just, that's my gut. I, how about this? Let me give you the optimist take. Mm. Uh, Cause I, I mean, I've gone back and forth here too. I think, I, I think McKay is too involved. Uh, I don't really know why his position exists. Uh, I don't know how he sort of maneuvered his way into this spot after essentially being fired as a GM. Uh, several years ago at this point. Mm. But let me give you the optimist. It's like Billy Knight coming back into the fold in Atlanta or Rod Higgins or something like that, where you're just like, how? Wait, what? They're running the franchise now? Wait, what? Let me give you the optimist take here. Um, I was concerned. First of all, the Falcons are running uh, an extremely wide-ranging search at this mm. point. I think we can agree on that. They have interviewed everyone from Belichick to... Jiro Evro, Ben Johnson, Brian, Brian Johnson, and everyone. And it seems like they're going to do second interviews with a lot of those guys. So they are not, I I think at first I was concerned they were in all in on Belichick mode or bust. They were going to sort of acquiesce to whatever Belichick wanted. And I don't want to acquiesce to whatever Belichick wants because that leaves you where the Patriots are at this point. Mm. Um, I don't think you can bring in Bill Belichick and let him do everything he was doing in New England. And I don't think they're going to. The optimist take is everything is in flux 
and blank is ultimately going to make the best decision among that vast pool of candidates, which by the way, the only open job now that everyone is interviewing for, you know, I don't think you're not going to see Belichick, Rabel, Harbaugh interview for every job, right? They're all interviewing for the Falcons job because the Falcons roster compared to these other openings is better. Uh, the Falcons division is weaker. Um, there are assets to work with. I think that, that, the optimist take on why things are sort of in flux in terms of defining what Fontenot is going to do, defining what McKay is going to do is blank is going to make the best decision for the franchise and then figure out the dominoes from there. Right. If he really likes, let's just say Ben Johnson is open to this job and he really likes Ben Johnson. Well, he can say, all right, Ben Johnson is going to come in here and do essentially what Arthur Smith would have the same role Arthur Smith had, uh, but just be a better coach. Right. And I don't think they're going to do that because I don't think they want to do the Arthur Smith thing again, but maybe let's say that he thinks it is Belichick in the end. Right. And he says, you know what? We need Bill Belichick. Sorry, Rich McKay. You're kicking back over out of football personnel. And eventually we'll sort of, you know, move on because I'm going to make the hard decision here. That is best for the organization. Let's say it's Harbaugh and it's the same thing. I think that it's, ultimately going to be up to blank and then they will figure everything else out now if that results in terry fondo being gone which i don't see like i don't see him being gone i i don't you know what his role will be in a belichick harbaugh Vrabel situation is is weird but like those guys are going to want someone to lean on for the draft and and you know ultimately they can say that they'll override it but like that's you know i don't think he'll be gone uh i think mckay is the big question um and I think that you and I stand in a certain a certain position there, and and I think most Falcons fans have a certain position there. Um, but you can't really like nail this stuff down until you have the guy. And what you're encouraged by is how wide ranging of a search they're running. And all you, that's that's just what you can hope for at this stage with the limited information we're working with, and then we'll see where it goes. I don't think this thing's ending in the next week. Mm. I, I, I don't think it is. I mean, they're 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 bringing in like, of what we know, at least six more guys for second interviews. Like they're they're not going to make this hire tonight, tomorrow, Wednesday. You know, Brable's coming in Wednesday. They're not going to just cancel that. Yeah. Well, I guess part of what might change the how this goes is other jobs filling up, right? Like I think that's something is it do like it, the Panthers and Seahawks, Titans. Um, and commanders, if those all fill up pretty quickly, then some of those names are going to pop out for second interviews and suddenly your pool is going to shrink and do the Falcons panic. If there's like a run on some of those guys where they're like, "Uh Oh, we have to make a choice or this guy's going to get swooped up by team X. The flip side of that is some of these guys can't be hired yet. Um, hmm. Ben Johnson, Mike McDonald, like to me, the, the two best coordinators on the job market are Ben Johnson and Mike McDonald. Uh, if you're going to so explain that- the Mike McDonald thing to me, why yeah. as a Michigan guy and a, and a Raven and the Ravens have obviously been elite on defense this year, but for Falcons fans who might not be immediately yeah. enthused yeah. by that kind of hire, why would you be enthused by Mike McDonald? Yeah, I understand not being enthused because you didn't know his name a year ago, right? Um, mm-hmm. so let me give a little bit of background on Mike McDonald. He is, I think, the coach in the NFL. Uh, I want to say he's 31, 32. Mm-hmm. Uh, he started his career at Georgia. Um, he he went to Centennial High School, uh, started his career at UGA under Mark Richt as a student. He was a he was a student, whatever. 
grad mm-hmm. assistant, something like that, talked his way right. onto the staff. Um, they loved him. They tried. They kept him uh, as long as possible. In 2013, he gets hired by the Ravens, um, and he works his way up with the Ravens. He starts as an intern, goes from to quality control to um, all the way up to linebackers eventually. Um, and he is being groomed as the next Ravens guy. Like the Ravens are known as having a, a really good pipeline of young defensive coaches. Um, and he was the next guy. And so Jim Harbaugh, the story, as the story goes, goes to John in 2020 and says, I need someone to fix this defense. Like, who do you have? I need an NFL guy. Who do you have? And he said, you got two names, Mike McDonald and Jesse Minter. Here you go. Um, to that point, Mike McDonald had been, I think, linebackers coach with the Ravens. Um, he picks McDonald uh, and I, like truly runs one of the most complex schemes I've ever seen in college football hmm. uh, and and beats Ohio State for the first time in 18 or second time in 18 years. Uh, he's a cult hero, but it was always sort of known that like he's an NFL guy. He's going to go back to the NFL. Um, and it was like, all right. And and they fire Wink Martindale, who had been a very, very successful defensive coordinator with the Ravens for a long time. Like, John Harbaugh got a lot of heat for that. They mm. fire Wink Martindale because they're like, I-, I think we need a younger, fresher mind there. And we have one, and it's Mike McDonald. And as we talk about all of these offensive coaches, like the Ben Johnsons and the Slowicks and the guys who are already head coaches, the Shanahans and McDaniels, you go through the Ravens uh, the last two years, like they have stopped all of them. Mm. They've shut down all of them. He is, I think, the number one thing you look for when you're hiring a coordinator, I think, is like, is this guy adaptable? Uh, and they have adapted to stop every type of offense you possibly need. And so to me, it's like if this guy was coaching offense, we'd be talking about him as the number one candidate, like with a bullet. Um, he coaches the best defense in the NFL. Uh, he's been endorsed by uh, one guy who has who has had success as an NFL head coach, and one guy who might be the best NFL head coach uh, in in the league right now. Um, he's from the area. He came up at UGA, uh, and I don't know if he's a Falcons fan. That's kind of irrelevant. But like, I think he's like borderline a genius. And like, you're going to hear a lot more about him in the next few weeks. And I think that that excitement would grow. Um, cause I think they're gonna go to the Super Bowl. I think they're probably gonna win the Super Bowl. And I think it's like, I think it is a sexy hire. Like, I, I you know, like I, this is like you putting the chips on, like, this guy's a genius and there are things we don't know. Right. I don't know what kind of leader he is. I don't know what his network would be like. I don't know who he'd hire as offensive coordinator. Like, I don't know those things. And that's why I sort of defer more to the like Harbaugh, uh, variable mold. Than, than the coordinator, but if you're going coordinator route, to me, it's him or, or Ben Johnson. I think that's fine. I think I'd be okay. Uh, and also, the staffs that he's been around, right? Uh, Harbaugh, I mean, whichever Harbaugh you want to say. Like, it's a pro-style staff. It's had a lot of different kinds of minds. I think he'd hire well on the offensive side of the ball. That's what you worry about when you hire a defensive-minded coach in today's sport. Because if you look at the final, Dan Campbell, tight ends, offensive guy, uh, Kyle Shanahan, offensive guy, obviously. Then on the uh, you have Andy Reid, offensive guy. Jim Har- or John Harbaugh, 
I guess what he's all over the place, but I guess we'll say just see. I don't know what to call him. Coach before, but he was special teams. He was defensive backs. I think he was. He might have been receivers. I don't know. He's had a lot. Maybe running backs. He was something on offense too. He's done a lot of different roles. So I don't really know what to call him. But either way, you just you got to be careful. I think so much the the margin for error is thinner for defensive minded coaches in the sport because you can see it. You hire the right guy and you're like, oh, awesome, we're rolling, and then. That guy leaves and you're like, oh, <laughs> you're asking the defensive minded guy. You see Todd Bowles has looked better this year because he nailed the hire from Seattle where he br- he brings in the QB coach who launched uh, Geno Smith's comeback of the year campaign last year. He hires him to be his OC this year. They take off. Great. Um, Dan Campbell, he still needed Ben John. We're about to see how much of this is Dan Campbell and the culture, but he's going to have to hire well all over again. Um, I don't know. That's the one worry is just can he hire offensive like multiple offensive coordinators well in succession? Because I just think the margin for error in the NFL is so slim on that regard. I think I think that's like totally valid. Um and I, I agree. On balance, I would I would much prefer to hire an offensive coach. But like you're you're kind of working with the pool you're working with right now. Like who mm. who are those guys out there? You know? I don't I don't I don't think Slowick is ready, to be honest. No. Like, I, I don't think I would hire Slow again. So then it's it's Ben Johnson, right? I mean, who like? Well, you know who I would probably do. Who's the best in the middle ground? And I think would actually work with Terry. And there's obviously a connection there, and he's in the right staff. Speaking of Detroit, Aaron Glenn, I don't think would be a bad hire. And the way people talk about him, I think Aaron Glenn is fine. Um, we I mean that probably means Aaron, uh, Pete Carmichael is the new OC for the Falcons because they laid off that whole offensive staff in New Orleans this offseason. Um. Look, that might be the middle ground. Okay, maybe. Um, I don't know. That's what, that's my gut. Is like the middle. I would not be surprised for, with Aaron Glenn. What's the case for Aaron? Like, I'm sure Aaron Glenn interviews well, and I'm sure he's like he's like, like sort of a, you know, I'm sure he's an enticing like leader to be around. I I'm not I'm not impressed by that defense. Not a lot of talent in the back end. I mean, Camson's QB1. Shout out to Cam BFL. But I think, I mean, the defensive line's developed well. Uh, they've got good linebacker play. Branch has played really well uh, as a rookie for uh, Detroit. I think it'd be an, I think it'd be a fine hire. Like, I think Kent, if you're doing that, that wouldn't... Brian Johnson would be a disaster where the city might revolt and we have a Mike Elko, Mike, Mark Stoop situation at Texas A&M uh, if that were the case. But I don't know. In terms of, like, safe, I, I think Aaron Glenn is like a... Okay, maybe. And then there's like the Raheem Morris, which is like the guy who has been in a room multiple times waiting for the opportunity. The ultimate CEO coach, right? Uh, kind of like the Harbaugh, like the best case scenario for Raheem, I think is Harbaugh, where he's coached different positions. He's been on a lot of elite staffs. He's obviously been with maybe the best culture setter of the last four years in Sean McVay and who's lost so much brain drain and hasn't really missed a beat and overachieving with really, really limited rosters. Uh, especially this past year, making the playoffs with just how old and how uh, just depleted they were on both sides of the ball was extremely impressive. You could sell me on Raheem Morris too, which is like, I think he'd hire well. And I think he uh, I, would be a good yeah. CEO coach potentially. I would, I would be, I'd be in on Raheem Morris. I think um, that's like what you said with, I think he'd be a CEO. Uh, he's worked offense. He's worked defense. Um, I think he'd probably call the defensive plays, but whatever. Uh, and he has the connections with Shanahan and endorsements of Shanahan. Yes. And like that's the, you nailed it on the head. If you're hiring a CEO or a DC, um, you have to like have confidence that they would be able to hire, you know, a good offensive coordinator. And I, I have complete faith. He would, 
I think we've kind of danced around it, and I think we should have the full like Belichick talk. Mm. I I think I've gone in a few different directions on this over the last few weeks, um, and I want to know where you where you net out. The thing that scares me the most about Bill right now, early seventies, we just saw Pete Carroll and Nick Saban eject here. He's obviously like still looking to beat the record, beat Shula. He loves coaching, clearly. He wants to stay around. We don't know for certain. This is what's tough, is we don't know how much control he really still wants in a franchise. Like that's just we're never gonna get that like until he's hired and we see what kind of front office situation that they uh, put together for him. But I think the thing that scares me the most about Bill here is it's not the defense. I think the defense will be really good right away. I think that's like with the pieces that we had and the strides we made, shout out to Ryan Nielsen. We'll miss you. Of course, we get a great DC and then immediately he's gone and he's probably going to do great things for the Jaguars. But um, I think the defense would be solid. Like I think immediately the Falcons would have top 15, top 10 defensive DVOA next year uh, with the pieces they have. So that would be exciting. It would raise the floor there. The problem is we just saw what Bill looked like without a quarterback the last couple of years. We just saw how ugly it can be in that regard. And we've done three years of really, really ugly offenses. And if he doesn't nail that, and because it's going to be really hard for the Falcons to navigate this, I mean, maybe it is simply just Kirk Cousins likes Bill. He's a free agent. You just bring him in and then you can uh, draft a quarterback to sit behind Kirk for a couple of years. And it's all seamless. Like that's the best case scenario, I think, is you don't have to pay uh, a premium for or trade for Kirk Cousins. You can just sign him outright. I don't like the Russell Wilson idea where you have to trade for Russell Wilson or anything like that's No, no, that needs to be absolutely off the table. But it, that's like the best case scenario. But I'm just like, that's a lot of things that have to happen and to make me feel okay with Bill Belichick. And I think there's a lot of scenarios where you hire Bill. He doesn't get the quarterback. Maybe he sees something in, or maybe he's like, you know what? Let's bring Mac Jones into this one. Maybe like there's just something where I'm like, I don't know for sure that the quarterback stuff would be solved. I don't know for sure the offense would be much better than what we've seen the last three years. I mean, I think the defense is a guarantee, but the offense, I don't know. It's also, it highly limits your options at quarterback. Yeah. Like Bill's not signing up for a a rookie, right? That's true. So what are your options? You know, Kirk Kirk Cousins is probably the best of the veteran options that are reasonably available this offseason. He's coming off a, what, an Achilles? Achilles, yeah. 36 power old he is 20 Achilles. like i'm i'm you know like i'm apprehensive about that uh mm-hmm. and i think where i've netted out is like you hire bill and the range of outcomes is very small to me mm. i don't i don't see it bottoming out i think there's too much talent in the roster and i think what you said like the defense is gonna be really good mm. with bill what is the ceiling though like you, let's say you bring in Kirk Cousins, you pay him, you know, two years, whatever, 60 to 70 million, probably more, honestly, but mm. like, that's your, that's your cap space for the most part. You know, you make a few more moves, uh, you bring in a draft pick, like what is the ceiling of a Josh McDaniels offense with, you know, Kirk Cousins and like, well, yeah, you, maybe you win the NFC South, maybe Bill gets his wins and gets his record, but like, that's not a content like that's not a real contender and so this is no. what like, my fear was when the early reports were like oh it's bill it's done mm. 
I had a fear that could still be true. I don't know. That blank was sort of like steamrolling. Like, this is the guy we need Bill Belichick. He's the GOAT. Like, I need a Super Bowl. I'm 82. This has to happen. It has to be done without sort of like seeing the bigger picture and seeing where this franchise is at, which is we all watch this team this year. They are not they are not on the verge of a, of a Super Bowl here. This is mm. not this is not the Cowboys firing McCarthy to get, you know, to, to take that next step. The roster is not there yet. You have to be patient in your build. I think we both agree that, like, the team can win the division next year almost regardless of who they hire. Mm. Um, and I guess that's highly dependent on the quarterback position. But, like, to be a Super Bowl contender, you have to continue this build. You can't. Mm. You can't expedite it. Um, and I think Bill is the like, screw it, I'm 82 and I got to win the Super Bowl. Like, let's hire the GOAT. And like, mm. that was what worried me. So taking this like break and like making sure it's a deliberate like process, making sure that you don't just like acquiesce to all of his demands, I think is important. I will be highly skeptical of a Bill Belichick hire no matter what. But yeah, it's be really good, right? Yeah, I I just still don't think it's going to happen. Uh, what do you think? What is your gut? It, we're taping this late on a Monday. Like, do you think it happens or no? I think Clairvoyant my, Max. I think my gut is it happens. Um, but here's the thing. Like, Bill Belichick wants to coach next year. Um, he hasn't interviewed anywhere else. He hasn't even, We don't even have reports that he's talked to anywhere else. He could also sit out. Well, but, like, if his whole goal is to break the wins record yeah he can't really afford to like sit out well he like, could sit out one year because you know there's the team that is not extending the contract of a certain coach and he is a lame duck final year of his contract and they walk right in what happened wouldn't they have just fired him and done it now like what i don't know i just think like if, if his whole goal was to win i for, i forget how like 20 20 more games 20 no it's like 14 or 15 oh okay mm. his whole goal is to win 14 or 15 more games either retire and and just say it's not going to happen or like you kind of got to jump back in like you're mm-hmm. 72 you can't really like if you're, if you're apprehensive about hiring a 72 year old coach you're going to be apprehensive about hiring a 73 year old coach you know like you're not sean mcveigh or someone who could take a year and he hasn't talked to anyone else and we saw this report of like i saw a report i think it was yesterday from um i want to say it was florio mm. like there's one, there are a couple teams interested in talking to Bill, one who has fired their coach and one who hasn't. And it's like, that just feels like someone like trying to give Belichick more leverage with the Falcons. Like, I don't, if you're interested in talking to Bill, go talk to him. You know, like, I don't understand why that's like, it just feels like sort of half-hearted leverage. And so I, I, my thought now is that Bill needs the Falcons more than the Falcons need Bill. And I huh. hope, I hope if that's the case, that they are using this sort of extensive search as leverage to say like, Hey man, like we're not just going to like bend over here to, to everything you need. This is the offer. We're going to pay you a boatload of money. You're not going to get full control. Terry Fondo will be here. You guys will work together. And if you're not, you can bring Josh McDaniels, you can whatever. If you're not going to do that, then by all means we'll hire. Hey, we can hire Jim Harbaugh. Uh, Hey, we can hire uh, Ben Johnson. I think that's where this is at. And if that's the case, I am glad they're doing it that way. Um, I still will be skeptical, but 
I think that that's I, I think that's where this is at. Until we see Belichick interviews for the Chargers job, Belichick interviews for the until we see that, I'm not going to believe in anything else. I'm going down with the. I think both say no, and there's a lot of public backlash to both and not ending up in Atlanta. And then I think it's either Aaron Glenn or I'll say Aaron Glenn or Raheem Morris. I think it's one of the two. I don't think Brian Johnson can happen. Like, I think that was just one. Like, I, that's like a doomsday scenario. I don't think that will happen. But I do think it's going to be one of the ones that just is going to, who could end up working out. Let's be clear. Raheem Morris and Aaron Glenn could work out here. A lot of it just, you got to find the quarterback in the next year or two. Like, you just have to. Like, so much of this is just, what do the Falcons do to clean up the most important position in the sport? Like, it doesn't matter really who the coach is between Aaron Glenn, Raheem Morris, Bill Belichick, Jim Harbaugh. If they get quarterback wrong this offseason, like, it just doesn't matter. Like, there's only so much a good coach can do uh, in this regard. So I'm just going to say right now, Raheem Morris or Aaron Glenn will be the next coach of the Falcons. Quickly, what is your preferred outcome at quarterback? I would trade up to th- in the top three. I don't care. Figure out who you like the most in the top three and trade up to one of those spots. Yeah, I think that's if you had to rank my like preferences, that would be number one. And number two would be sign a vet and then pair him with one of the sort of like late. First I think you can still time. sign a vet and trade up is my thing is you can sign a vet and also trade up. That's what I would. That's what you could do with Kirk Cousins. You could sign yeah. Kirk and still trade up. But that's like, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not opposed to that. That is like an exorbitant number of reasons like to trade i don't care but like how many more years max do we have to do with this with the quarterback stuff i'm with you i'm with you i just think if you trade up to the top three you can't then also spend 35 million against the cap on kirk cousins that's true it wouldn't be kirk but i'm just saying like you can get a veteran guy like i don't know who it is like but you can do something the worst situation is they trade for like fields or russell wilson or like i will lose my mind if they make a trade and give up assets for a failed first rounder an old vet who doesn't have it anymore like that might send me over the edge but i just think max you know this i know this where is what has been the most successful run in atlanta falcons history what was the key ingredient of that successful run 100 and where was matt ryan taken uh he was taken third overall behind the third overall like it's just don't ever think this like just trade up figure out who you like the most take a quarterback in the top three and then let's roll this is the problem with the Belichick. We can talk in circles, but yeah. Belichick, Harbaugh, Vrabel, like they're not going to sign up for that. Mm-hmm. Then sorry. That's where we're at. We Why? need to take a quarterback in the top three and then figure it out. I don't think the blank McKay like du- duo or whatever is, is I think their preference is going to be veteran coach over rookie quarterback. Like, if you had full faith in your GM, you would allow your GM to make the swing up to the top three. Granted, mm-hmm. uh, we also have to say this like requires someone in the top three to be willing to trade, and I don't really know which of the three it's going to be. Well, I think there's possibilities. I mean, number one might be available. Like, they might be like, we want to keep Justin Fields, and they. I think they're. I don't know. We'll see. Would it surprise you if the Bears traded number one back to back years? Yeah. It's, okay. it, it would surprise me at this point if they, if they didn't take Caleb. Also, could well, it also depends on the new regimes. Because look at this. You have uh, Gerard Mayo in New England now. He might like Mac Jones. 
and might want to keep this moving. So then they move out. You got to look at Sam Howell in Washington. You got to see what the new coach, whoever Washington brings in and Adam Peters, the new GM, do they like the quarterbacks enough to stay at three or do they trade back? And they're like, we're not close enough because look, the Eagles are here. The Cowboys are here. We're going to scale back a little bit um, and get a quarterback next year or something like we don't know internally what those organizations are thinking with the quarterback spot, because if you are one of those three teams and you don't want to or don't plan to take a quarterback in one of those three spots, you have to trade out. So I just, we don't know yet. I think one of those three teams will be open to, like, I don't think it's going to be chalk one through three. They all three take quarterbacks is my gut. Yeah, maybe, maybe. If you, if you made me bet today, I would say it is chalk. Okay. I just don't think so. If you're, if you're Washington, you're not, and you're a new regime, you're not beholden to the Sam Howell crap. Yeah. Like there's nothing... I would be stunned. But what I'm saying is like those organizations can still look at this and go, we're still not a quarterback away. We don't want to burn the rookie clock because our roster is still not close to really com- realistically competing. So let's just beef up the rest of the roster. I mean, the Falcons just did that the last couple of years. They beefed up the roster around uh, the quarterback and then waited. And and I think that there's absolutely something to be said for like, at some point you just have to like take the plunge. You know, yep. like the Falcons could have taken the plunge last year on CJ Stroud. We'd be having a whole different conversation. They could have got up to two and got him if they really wanted. Um, and they they waited. They kept waiting. They waited. They waited. And look where it got him. You know, got him fired. They also so bet on a third round quarterback. And third round quarterbacks, generally speaking, don't work out. And that's why Arthur Smith is not coaching this team anymore. They Amen. rarely work out. It's just a numbers game. It's just like what are the what's the best odds taking a quarterback at number three and trading up, or taking a quarterback in the second round or third round? Like it's just the better choice is in the top three, give up the assets and find the franchise quarterback and do that and just see what happens. I think every Falcons fan would be okay if they traded up in the top three and that guy didn't end up working out. Cause then it's like, Hey, we took a big swing and we actually addressed the quarterback position the best way you can in the NFL. This is the best way to address long-term stability at the quarterback position is trade up or just draft in the top three. That is the best way to do this. To me, it's a bigger question of whether those picks are available than whether they should. I think they, yeah. if it's there, do it, make the Julio trade, you know, just do also, it. You could just package pits. You get, there's people to package here. Yeah. I, I don't think that's the route they're going to go, but no, I don't either. I think pits is just going to get really, or not released. I just don't think his option is going to get picked up after this year. I think this is his last year in Atlanta and that's it. That's a deeper, deeper conversation. Oh, it's, it's it's a deep cut. Uh, we'll leave it there, Max Markovich. This was good. Uh, a good Atlanta Falcons uh, hot uh, hot stove uh, of a major league baseball term here. But um, either way, it's interesting. We'll see what happens. Your final prediction, uh, Bill Belichick. My final prediction. I'm kind of cheating, but I'm just saying. You pick Aaron one. Glenn slash Raheem Morris. Um, I'll just say Raheem because it's only fair I do one. I, I'm going to say Raheem Morris is the coach of the Atlanta Falcons. My my last question is, uh, by this time next Monday, is there a new Falcons head coach? Yes. Okay. I don't think this draws I, out. I think you're gonna. Do you see Titans just filled while we're recording? No, they are Callahan, uh, the Bengals. It's interesting. They didn't even let him get to Atlanta. Callahan yep. was a hot name. Okay, that's, that's what I'm saying. I just think it's going to he. I think these teams are going to get nervous. I think you're right. Okay, I did not see that. That's that's a. Uh... I was I was doing some backroom intel with my with my uh with my Ravens fan friend on the uh the Cincy offense just to get mm-hmm. a sense of Callahan. I, I he seems interesting. That's a good hire. Fine. We'll see. 
you can never go wrong. Like I'm just never going to be, I'm never going to yeah. tell an organization yeah. like, what are you doing? Getting a, a, a Zach Taylor, Kyle Shanahan, McVay disciple to run your team. Like, I'm just never going to be like, Whoa. like, we don't know. We're working no. with such limited information. And like, all you can do is evaluate the organization's process. Mm-hmm. Do you trust these decision makers? Do you think that they are making sound strategic decisions rather than, I don't know any of these people personally. I, I know the Michigan guys a little bit better than the others for mm-hmm. obvious reasons. And like everything else is just like, who knows? Maybe. Yeah. hundred percent. Who knows? Maybe that's a great way of ending the Atlanta Falcons uh, hour here on the Atlanta sports guy. Garrett, miss you this week. Uh, Max, thank you as always, my friend. And uh, let's talk again. Maybe next week, a reaction show, depending on who, who, uh, what things, uh, what happens here with the Atlanta Falcons. But Max, thank you as always. And I'll talk to you very soon. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas podcast. Hell yeah. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 